morning. How's everybody doing? My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new to us, um, man, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I do this thing. I hang out afterwards. Please come see me. Come shake my hand. Man, uh, where to start? I, I have to start this way. I just tell you, um, you know, in the last couple, several weeks, all of a sudden, I can hear everybody singing and worshiping God, and I just love that. You know, I, I, that's, that's what I, when I evaluate myself as a pastor, and people go, how does a pastor evaluate himself? How many people in the church? I could care less about that kind of stuff. I, I get excited about when people, am I opening their eyes so they can see how big God is and how much they want to worship him and love him and sing out of their heart that they love this God? And so when I hear voices, you know, in fact, let me just say this. I'd rather our church be known for, man, these guys sing and they do a ton of stuff in the community. That would be our reputation more than, man, there's a whole bunch of people go there. I care less about that stuff. And so I, I'm just elated to hear that. And it started when we like, you know, um, you know, covered the seats in the back and made people move forward. And, and I don't know if that's part of it. Uh, some of you like that change. Some people hate it. If you hate the change, talk to Kenny. He loves those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, the other thing I got to say is uh, food pantry, uh, this card is in here, We're gonna, we've been highlighting all month, I haven't said very much on the stage because I get so into the message, uh, I wanted to say I do, you know, I did the videos and whatnot, but hey, this is our heart right here, okay, uh, this is our community uh, outreach initiative, um, you know, impact initiative, this is, this is not going away, it's one of our values, so uh, hopefully this doesn't get old on you, we're already planning the next one for May, and the one in September, and the one in next January, this is what we're going to be all about, how do we make an impact in the community, this one particularly, um, uh, big for me because I was a 16 year old kid with a knock on the door where somebody brought us a, a box of food. And so, um, whoa, can't be getting emotional too, too early here. And so, the whole point is please, please take a bag. If you got a bag, if you didn't get a bag, all the bags are gone. Bring a box, I don't care. Five items, get, get them. Next week is the week to bring, okay? Next week's the week to bring. My growth group is gonna be here afterwards uh, serving to make sure everything gets put downstairs in the basement and all that kind of stuff and organized and everything. Hopefully we won't be here till midnight. Hopefully there'll be more volunteers than just us. But the whole point is we're behind this thing and we're excited about blessing our food pantry where we get to go and tell the community that we love you, we care for you, we have compassion on you just like Christ had compassion for physical needs. We're hoping that it'll give us the ability to speak into you spiritually as well, just like um, um, Christ's compassion allowed him to do the same thing. All right, where do we start today? I'm going to start off kind of in a vulnerable moment, okay? Um, uh, the transparent moment here. It's going to be one of those things where it might shock you. Maybe cause you to look at your pastor a little differently than you've ever considered. You may even want to defend me, but I just want to tell you, please don't. That's okay. I'm okay. I'm comfortable within my own skin. And that is to say this, all that to set up this. It may shock you to hear that before I was, uh, before I was married to my wife, I wasn't much of a ladies' man. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed, loved ladies, loved ladies, but I just wasn't a ladies man. That whole interaction, the opposite sex, and, and he throws a signal, and then she throws it back, and that, that I just, I, man, there's like a decoder thing that goes on there, and I didn't get the decoder manual, and so I didn't, I didn't quite understand. I sent the message for sure. Did I receive one? I don't know. I don't know what's going on here, and so I just wasn't much of a ladies man. It wasn't my, my thing, and I know that that's, that shocks many people, and I, understand, and I get that. 
I get that. I understand. And, and, and don't, don't defend me. I'm okay with my, I'm comfortable with my skin. But, but let me just show you how that works out. I got married, my wife, and, and you know, she's telling me about this decoder manual thing and how women work and all this stuff. And, and, and you know, um, I, I, you know, you know, the, 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 the you know, <laughs> how the woman works, you know. So, anyway, so, so I, you know, there'd be these girls over the years, and there's one girl in particular come to my office and brought me a Starbucks coffee, and I was asking my wife, I said, so what was going on there? You go, yeah, she dug you. Really? That girl came to my office, brought me a Starbucks, and I'm thinking to myself, man, she's gorgeous, and she's beautiful, and man, I wish I knew if she liked me, you know, but right now, I'm working, and I can't talk to her, and I don't like coffee. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. It's like, yeah, no, no woman brings you something unless she likes you. Okay, I'm helping a lot of guys out right now. I understand that. That's good. Learn from my mistakes. It took me a year before I asked that girl out, and by that time, I'm squarely in the friend zone. I mean, I'm swimming at the deep end of the, swim, uh, the friend zone swimming pool. I'm snorkeling in that bad boy. I might have like a, a, a scuba certificate in the deep end of the friend zone swimming pool. If you don't know what that is, ask your kids. They know what the friend zone is. But I'm living up in that thing. And there's this other girl came and you know, gave me a, a dolphin poster. This was back in the day we had poster stores at the mall and they, you know, framed dolphins for it. It's like $200. And she gave to, did she like, yeah, she liked it. I'm like, what, really? I oh, mean, this is crazy. I didn't know. There's this whole decoder manual thing of how women send signals and I, and I wouldn't receive them. So the question becomes, and everybody's like, how in the world did you get married? <laughs> it's a good question. That's a good question. And uh, it leads us to a story about a peanut butter cookie. And... <laughs> A peanut butter cookie that I want to tell you was my only hope of ever getting married. One peanut butter cookie, my only hope of ever getting married. It goes like this. There's this gorgeous girl, unbelievably gorgeous girl. She's uh, hanging out in the middle school ministry of the church. I'm one of the middle school, middle, we had a pastor and four interns. I was one of the pastoral interns, a bigger church. Uh, and so, you know, she's hanging out with us and she's gorgeous. Can't keep my eyes off her. Oh my gosh, every time I stop looking at her, she's going to notice you're looking at her. Uh, you know, you're not going to ask her out because if the ugly one said no, then the pretty one's not going to say yes. And so you just, you know, off limits, you you know, you know, this is the mind of a big man. And so anyway, so, so, <laughs> anyway, so the boy's the story is she comes in, she's gorgeous, and all of a sudden one day I find on my desk again at work a uh, 10 uh, uh, peanut butter cookies with a dolphin sticker on a, on a, you know, sack lunch kind of a bag sitting there. And of course, I'm a big guy, and I, I tear through about nine of those suckers within an hour. I have one left, but I'm full and I can't eat anymore. Finally, my buddy comes in, Jed, who works with us. Praise God that Jed came in that day. Comes in and goes, what's that? I go, oh, you remember that new girl, Meredith? Yeah, she made me some cookies, man, and they're really good. She's not into that odd water stuff. Like, she's like scratch cookies, you know, which, by the way, she's never made me a peanut butter cookie since. <laughs> it is a setup. It is a setup. Okay, so I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. I'll say this. Her, I don't like peanut butter cookies anymore because her chocolate chip cookies are so much better that I just, that she makes those up. Okay, anyway, so, anyway, so she made, and Jed's like, Jed's peanut butter cookies, and he looks at me, and his eyes get big, and oh my gosh, Big Dave, that's my, that's my, my nickname at the time, Big Dave, she likes you, she likes, he's yelling, I'm like, dude, dude, shh, be quiet, be quiet, but she so clearly does not like me, Jed, she's so, she's just honoring the staff. 
She's just honoring the staff, her staff, the middle school, you know, staff of the church. She's just being honoring. And he goes, oh, okay, I got a big guy. I got it. He goes, he goes uh, uh, you're, you're a pastoral intern. She's just honoring the staff. Yeah, yeah, that's all that's going on. Just, oh, okay, I got it. He goes, I'm an intern. I ain't got cookies. The other interns, they don't got cookies. Dave Cox, the pastor of middle school ministry, he didn't have any cookies, but she's just trying to honor her staff. <laughs> And I go, oh my gosh, do you really think she likes me? <laughs> and he goes, yes, I call her within 15 minutes, ask her out, and that's because of that peanut butter cookie, my only hope. You talk about desperation. The only reason that I'm married today is because of that peanut butter cookie. Now, I, you know, I'm a big fan, and we'll joke, and I'm a big fan of don't check your personality at the door when you go to church. Okay, we're gonna have ups and downs. There'll be time. We'll be emotional. Time we'll be happy. We'll be, we'll be laughing. All those things. Yeah, we we don't have to check our emotions at the door when we come to church. All right. But at the same time, we talk about this. And we joke about desperation and my only hope and this peanut butter cookie and all this stuff. But I would just say this: true followers of Christ find their find Jesus Christ to be their only hope. Is their only hope. And this morning we're gonna look at a guy who comes to realize that Jesus is his only hope. And we're gonna look at how, how would he approach him and how would he leave him. How would Jesus receive him, and, and, and what would he do? And would the man leave as desperately as he came? And so for that, we're going to be in the book of Mark. So open up your, your, your phone right now. Get there. Highlight. If you're in a growth group, you want to take notes because we're going to be talking about this week in our groups. But uh, Mark chapter 2, if you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screens for you so you can follow along. But we're going to look at this question today on the screen. What happens when Jesus is your only hope? What happens when you come to a place in life where you realize, Jesus Christ is my only hope? The first thing you see is going to happen is your approach might become a little desperate. Your approach becomes, when you are down to your last hope, your only hope, your approach becomes desperate. You might get a little desperate in the way you approach things. And we're going to see that right now in verses 1 through 4 in Mark chapter 2. We're in chapter two, that's right. Uh, uh, verse one says this. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, uh, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some of the men came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was on. We'll stop right there. Uh, what happens when Jesus is your only hope? First thing, your approach might get a little desperate. So what's going on? We have a homecoming party. Remember, now chapter one, we just ended last week. Jesus heals a leopard. Shh, word's getting out. Oh my gosh, a leopard's like a dead man walking. Holy cow, he healed him. Why did he heal him? We believe that when you're a leper, God's judging you. Why would Jesus come and heal that guy? I don't know. I don't understand the significance of that. But at the same time, the word is getting out. This guy can do miraculous things. And so all of a sudden, he can't even go. Remember, we ended last week. He can't get him to go to any town. He has to stay out in the outskirts now because everybody knows about him. As soon as he comes to town, a big mob rushes him. We got to see this guy. All right, and so he has a homecoming party. He's in Capernaum. That's kind of the base of his ministry. He's probably at Peter's house, and everybody hears that he's there. They all go to the house, and like, wow, he's here again. The word is out, and, and, and those days, you didn't culturally have to ring a doorbell as if they had one anyway. You just walked right in. 
And it would not be cultural for you to say, you can't come in. It's kind of like being Hispanic and running out of food at a party. Anybody Hispanic? And that's like the world's worst thing that could happen. You cannot see it. You cannot run out of food. You're supposed, everybody's supposed to be doubled over full, and you're supposed to have like leftovers for a week. That's how, Well, in their culture, you couldn't tell people not to come in. And so they rushed in this house. Jesus is there, and he begins teaching all of them. There's so many people there that nobody can even get through the doorway anymore is the idea. And so finally, the house is so stuffed, no one can get in. We see a progression in the story. There's this guy coming. He's paralyzed in some form. He cannot walk. He cannot, so clear he cannot get there on his own. So he's got four buddies who are carrying him, which is rather unique because everybody would think he did something to offend God, and God is judging him on this earth. That's why he's paralyzed. And yet he's got four buddies that love him enough to bring him to Jesus. They get to the front door. Nothing's available. Can't get in. We can't get in. And so what they do is they clearly go, I'm going to go up the steps. Maybe there's a stairway. These are probably one-story buildings, not very big. Sometimes there's a stairwell. Sometimes there's, uh, there's a ladder. But you get to the, to the roof, and they literally break up a hole in the roof. In fact, the idea, if you looked at it literally, it would be this. They unroofed the roof. They unroofed it. They unroofed the roof. Now, it's different to us, you know, I got a 50-year warranty roof. It's not like that back then. You know, I got a 30-year warranty roof, depending on what roof you have. Back then, they would redo their roofs every year, all right? Let me tell you how, how this was. A flat, flat kind of, you know, they don't have like the structures that we have today. They'd have big, big uh, wooden tree beams, and then they would put like this uh, uh, um, uh, palm tree branches or tree branches, and they put mud, and they, they wet it, and they put some clay tiles on top, and that would be their roof for the winter. Well, that so clearly would not make you pass one winter, so every year you would redo your roof. And so the idea that they would unroof, or they just literally are peeling back palm tree branches, pulling it back. People are kind of trying to listen to Jesus, and all of a sudden they see all mud falling on them. There's a hole that opens up, and then boom, they're able to lower this guy on the mat down right before Jesus. Desperate times require desperate measures. We can't get to him. He's not going to see us. What do we do? We're going to do the desperate thing. We're going to go up to the roof, unroof the roof, and let him down probably with some fishing line. So he's on this, a poor man's mat is the idea, like a, a poor man's mattress. Maybe simply a, a bag with straw in it type of thing. And four corners, there's, there's uh, four corners, imagine that thing with four corners with, with fishing string, and they just lower him down right before Jesus. Imagine the spectacle. They're listening to Jesus. He heard so much about him. He's doing his teaching thing. Somebody makes a hole, and here comes this guy right before Jesus as he's teaching, and everybody in the room is saying to themselves, what is Jesus gonna do? What is he gonna do? And everybody in the room is gonna think to themselves, there is a paralyzed man in front of him who obviously did something so sinful that God is judging him, and now he's in before, before what is Jesus gonna do? We heard about him last week. He did this thing with this leper, and he was able to make the, the Hansen's disease go away. What is Jesus going to do? Desperate time requires desperate measures. What happens when Jesus is your only hope? You get desperate. But not only that, you get rewarded. Let's look to number two. What happens when Jesus uh, is your only hope? Your approach becomes desperate, and you leave rewarded. Number two, let's look over to verse five. You leave rewarded. Let's look at this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit, not the Holy Spirit, just his mind, mind and spirit, same word in the Greek, in his mind that this is the way they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, tell, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And he got up, took up his mat. And he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. What happens when Jesus is your only hope? You might come desperately and you also might leave rewarded. You might leave rewarded. So here you have the situation. He comes down. What is he going to do? He says, your sins are forgiven. And immediately spurns in the mind of all the religious leaders a theological debate. Now you got to understand here, Jesus is already, in the book of Mark, has already received opposition in chapter 1 from the enemy. We talked about the devil and the enemy and how the cause of Christ and the cause of the evil one explode on earth together. That's Jesus' ministry. But now in chapter 2, and we're going to see this for the next couple chapters here, he gets a new form of opposition. And this opposition is the religious establishment. And they're coming not because they're interested in following Jesus Christ or hearing his claims or even seeing his miracles. They are actually jealous of him. Well, you know what? His fame is growing. And the more his fame grows, the, more, the less people listen to us. And if he continues to grow, then we're going to get smaller. And we don't want to see him go. And we go long. So we got to find a way. We got to, let's come and see what we're up against here. And eventually they're going to say, how do we kill this guy? And so right away, we see them from the very beginning of this year that we're going to check this guy out. And they're thinking in their minds, not this is amazing what just happened. They're thinking in their minds, how can you forgive sins? And so it spurs a theological debate between them, this concept of blasphemy. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, which is, is so out of the ordinary. Everybody's expecting a miracle, and here's Jesus saying, your sins are forgiving. Everybody's expecting a miracle, and the second thing they're thinking is, well, this guy obviously did something before God to be in that state. Uh, he's being judged by God, and so Jesus says, I'm going to deal with the second one first. Your sins are forgiven. I told you guys, uh, my birthday was last month, turned 40. Thank you very much. Feel good about it. Uh, you know, 40 is a new 15. <laughs> Anyway, so I went, to, I went to Las Vegas with my wife and some family that we had friends with from Arizona. We went to the David Copperfield show. And I love magic. I think it's, I mean, I don't think it's magical or anything. I just illusion. You know, I love illusion and whatnot. And so, um, so I'm watching him and you know, he's like the father of all illusions for 40 years. The guy's butt old, but he still can do it. And so, so anyway, we're there. And I mean, can you imagine if David Copperfield came out and said, hey everybody, I know you're here today to see me do some magical stuff. But before I start, I want to tell you my first act is this song I wrote and I want to do a little sing and dance routine. People go, no, 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 David. We didn't come to hear you sing and we didn't come to hear you dance. We want to see it, a, a rabbit come out of the hat. You know, that's why we came. And that's what's kind of going on here with Jesus. They all want to see the guy healed and Jesus goes, your sins are forgiven. Like, what are you talking about? Well, we heal the guy. And, the, the, and, and, and the, the teachers of the law, if we cross-reference Luke chapter 5, we understand those guys to be uh, the Pharisees. And, and they're sitting there going, wait a second, you can't do that. You can't say that. Only God can say that. It's blasphemous. 
blasphemous for you to say something like that. In fact, the Greek word order there, I'm going to do a little bit of Greek grammar real quick. In, in, in Greek, each word in the, hidden in the word is the idea of whether it's a direct object or the subject of the sentence or the verb of the sentence. All right? In English, we look at word order, word order to tell us that. John hit the ball. John obviously is the subject. The verb is hit. Ball is the direct object. We know that because of word order. In Greek, you don't have to do that 